Welcome to the Arena Decklist Podcast. I'm Jerry Thompson, joined by Brian Gottlieb. I am in the middle of packing and moving. You are in San Jose, California, if I am correct. You are correct. I am sitting cool. in a, a clear glass chair in an Airbnb, worried that it could shatter at any moment. Yeah, that'll be fun. It'll, it'll make for some interesting podcasting, I'll say that. So apologies if I'm echoey or strange sounding. I'm on my, my travel microphone, which is uh, you know not of the usual quality you are used to here on the Arena Decklist, but the takes will be of the highest quality. I can promise you that. Yeah, and <laughs> I'm on my laptop. My PC was broken for a little bit. I think I might have fixed it, but the mic that I was using did break. So now I am also on a travel mic. Man, so, t- tough times for the Arena Decklist podcast. Just all of our equipment yeah. failing on us left and right. You know what, man? Like four years ago, I bought this really fancy mic. And I think I've talked about this before, but yes. I tried setting it up multiple times and just could not figure it out. And uh, dude, even it's like, oh, yeah, just look up a YouTube tutorial. There are YouTube tutorials for everything. Like just search for like, an e- you know, doing it on easy mode or whatever. Right. And that that stuff didn't work. They used a lot of like words, you know, just plug the business into the deli or whatever. I was like, I don't even know what that is, you know. Uh, but regardless, I hope that when this move happens, that that's what I want to do is like actually set up the good mic or at least give it the old college try. Yeah. So it's unfortunate that like you getting this good mic has corresponded with us just having extreme difficulty getting to the same place. Should it have been when you were like. Well, maybe you had it in Seattle and you, we just refused to ever set it up. But regardless, I did. I'm, I did have it. I'm very confident I could do this. <laughs> and all I need to do is just get into your house to set it up. Uh, and we just haven't done that. So when you move you, into your new place, I will get how there. Long did you live, how long did you live in Seattle? Three years. And you came to my house once, I believe. No, that's not true. I would At say least three, once. I would say three times would be my guess. Uh, okay. Granted, that's not a huge number of times. How many times did you come to my house, do you think? A decent amount. More than three? Yeah. A lot more I, than three? I don't know, man. Like, I, I feel like I said hi to Kai, and I sat on your couch a decent amount. Like, we we definitely... So the time I remember you coming over to my place was to do Patreon fulfillment. Yeah. Yep. And maybe there were some other times. Like, I know that you came to, like, pick stuff up or drop stuff off or whatever. But, like, that doesn't count if you're not coming in. You know what I mean? Right. And then... I remember going to your place to take like YouTube (laughs) reaction thumbnail pictures or whatever. Yep. I remember that. And then, I don't know, there was, there was some time when we were like sitting at your computer doing something, but I I remember sitting on your couch. Couch was nice. I remember saying hi to Kai. He was stinky. Yep. He'll do that. But Uh, good boy. Very good boy. There, I don't know. I'm going to guess you came over like four times. And I remember, like you said, recording the YouTube thumbnails, maybe making some YouTube content a couple times. I remember doing that. But either way, both of us are terrible humans. That's what it comes down to. And not good at visiting our friends. But the next time I come to see you, this microphone is going to get set up and it's going to be excellent. I promise you that. Because now, having spent all my time, you know, working on the Arena Synthless podcast, I do feel like my understanding... (laughs) of audio has gotten much better. And I refuse to believe given the complicated things I have put together and made work over the last uh, year, I am confident this microphone will pose no problem. Dude, maybe I'll just like video call you in or something, you know, 
I, I'm willing to try that. I will say, like, I've I've tried to do tech support like that before, like for my brother, and it's it's so frustrating just because I like I don't know the names of a lot of things, <laughs> and I'm just like, yeah, stick this thing here, and then this will happen, and uh, it it is not it is not conducive with the way my brain works to effectively relay very pointed, discrete information across video call. Word. Well, good thing, good thing I podcast for a living, huh? That's <laughs> yeah, basically yeah. what that is. Yeah, somehow we've made it through. Magic is its own special language, though. I think so. I think you that's think true. about, you know, b- people have talked about this from time to time where they mention being worried about playing magic against someone where there's like a language barrier, like going to play a pro tour in Japan or something. And it's, it's so much easier yeah. than you would think it is. And I think that if I had actually like stopped to think about it before we're like, Oh, is this going to be a problem? I think I probably would have panicked, but instead I was like, I'm just going to a tournament and then you sit down to play and then it kind of hits you where it's like, Oh crap, are we going to have a problem? You know? And then as soon as you start playing, it's just like, oh, no, this is super easy. So I don't know, man. Talk, talking about magic stuff is fine. Talking about microphone stuff where there is a language for it, but like neither of us know it. Yeah, that's that's a little bit. More would get harder. Yep. Anyway, you are in California for Flesh and Blood Worlds. And I was looking at the information for this. Mm-hmm. Pays out to top 64. And it's, I got to imagine it's going to be like three or 400 people, something like that. Yeah, I think it's right around 300 registered. Okay, cool. And the top eight, it's, you know, some money, but then it says like gold legendary of their heroes class slash talent. Yep. That's just, I mean, it's like a promo, right? Yeah, it is. It is like a promo of an existing card. Legendaries tend to be, I, I think in all cases when we're giving out the promo prizes, their equipment and equipment is really, really nice to have these nice flashy versions of because it does not get shuffled. So you can put it into a nice case and always have it. And it's, it also starts the game in play. Yeah. So it's this really good display piece. Um, yeah. They're, they're awesome prizes. They're really good. So that that's basically like a one of a kind thing, right? Unless the people are playing like the same class, I guess, or. Yeah. So uh, I would say they are like five of a kind things. Basically we cycle through a group of legendaries and it's a random drawing, which one you get. Although in this class it is shaped towards class, but when you win like a uh, battle hardened, which is kind of like super PTQ is what I would call it. And if you uh, do well on a calling, which is like a, a GP for magic terms, you you do just get a random one, not tailored to your hero's class. Yeah. So, th- I mean, it says their hero's class, meaning the thing that they were playing in the tournament. Correct. 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 In this case, it is tailored. Yeah. See, that's so awkward, man. Like, because I don't know, say, say I like, Top eight, the Pro Tour with Affinity or whatever. It's like I don't want a, a promo Ravager. I want like a, a promo Nether Spirit or something. I want something that's like more closely affiliated with the things that I like rather than the thing that I happen to do well with. Yeah, I I get that. It it is different in Flesh and Blood though, just because your your hero identity tends to be like uh, I w- I won't say constant, but people definitely have their preferences, and for the mo- there's no like. With one glaring exception I can think of, there's no like flash in the pan hero where you're just like playing a metagame deck and you can, you'll do really well. Like all these heroes are now like very established. There's basically, uh, we're in the teens, I think, of applicable heroes that could be eligible for this prize. And the ones that are viable, there's like, our metagame's really healthy right now. Probably about seven classes that I'd say are capable of winning this tournament. And they're, they're all like fixtures in the game. Beyond that, 
uh, our game doesn't rotate too. So that's, that's another thing to remember is that like these things stay good for a very long time forever, basically. Well, they get banned, forced rotated at some point, Mm-mm. right? Mm-mm. No, no, we've worked very hard uh, not to, not to ban legendaries and we've never had to in our main constructed format at this point. Uh, and hopefully I'm hopeful. Well, I thought there was that one list or whatever. There, there, okay, this is good. We're, we'll get into the minutiae here. There is the living okay, legend no, list. Uh, okay, dude, I'm off it. I'm off it. <laughs> I'm going to give you a two-second explanation. Living legend be, list it better be quick. pushes out a specific hero, but eventually there will be another hero of that class. So your legendary card, it's, it's not tailored to the named hero. It's tailored to the class. So you will be able to use that again. Uh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's fine, but it's still like, well, you know, maybe I just played this because the hero is good and not because I actually like the class or identify with it or whatever. Nah, anyway. you, you, you gotta trust me on this one. They'll they'll be happy with their prizes. I don't know, man. It seems easier to just let them choose, but what do I know? Right. Anyway, we got magic cards. Yeah, lots of them. Lots of them. We could have done work for this. I will fully admit that, but I think we're also both kind of in the middle of stuff in addition to being kind of lazy. So we're just going to kind of play this by ear. I think we have both looked at a decent amount of cards, but haven't really done the homework and like absorbed them and thought about them. So for the most part, this is like live reaction video as good as it gets during preview season. Yeah. Uh, like, like you said, I've seen a lot of this, but I was, I was just way too busy this week to actually invest any time into breaking them down. And so Live reactions. I'll do some some digging and some understanding when it comes time for next week's uh, top ten show. All right, so we are in Scryfall, sorted by color, and we are just going to pick out cards as we see them. Yes, things that interest us. All right, first up, Calamity's Wake. One dub, instant exile all graveyards. Players can't cast non-creature spells this turn. Exile this. Feels safe and simultaneously very impactful narrow but wide really good hate card like just really good at covering a lot of bases uh not going to be used to lock your opponent out since the exile it's exiles itself and just doing that thing where like is very important especially in like modern where you can get multiple points of interaction from a very very like what is supposed to be a narrow card so you basically get extra sideboard slots by playing something like calamity's wake the question is can you afford to pay two for it uh i think so I think this is like such a powerful version of both of these effects and coming at instant speed that this card will see some good, healthy, useful sideboard play. I like that this kind of covers two bases at once. Yep. Pot- potentially. It does have the hollowed moonlight problem. Like I-, I know that you played Rally. I don't know how often you were on the hollowed moonlight side of things, but it was rough sometimes having yeah. to keep two mana open for that thing. Yep. And, I, I was getting Hollowed Moonlight more than I was playing it, for sure. Okay. And, yeah, then, then maybe you didn't feel it, where it's like in, in the early game, you know, there. Uh, I, I guess this wasn't true with your version, um, but I'm not sure how much you played with, like, the later Jace versions of Rally or not. But, you know, they're, they're threatening you pretty early with stuff like Jace and Husk and, you know, just, like, a, a bunch of little little one ones and whatnot putting pressure on you and you have to spend your mana reacting to that stuff. And then you don't necessarily have the luxury of holding open hollow moonlight to counter a company. And even if it's kind of in the later stages where you have a moonlight, then they can like 
company and sort of force you to burn it then. And then they, they just get to rally at some point. So I, I don't like the aspect of having to keep two mana open. I also don't necessarily like the one shot and Moonlight also cantripped, you know, stuff like that. Yep. Uh, so this this does have a lot of downsides in terms of hate cards that I've played with in the past and that I have liked or disliked. You know, it's like put this on a two or three mana body and I'm super happy. Uh, have it be a thing that like potentially cantrips or whatever. I think that this sort of makes up for that by hitting two different aspects, like two different things that you might want to hate on. But yeah, it is it is interesting. I'm not sure if this is actually good enough, but if there's a spot in standard where you need a thing like this, well, not a lot of these things exist anyway. So this might be the best you have. Yeah, I think anytime you're getting like a novel combination of hate into the format, you at least have to acknowledge it, respect it, know about it. Because there is just potential that this could become, uh, you know, the perfect thing you need for a metagame, even if it is slightly awkward, slightly expensive, slightly underwhelming in terms of not cantripping. None of that really matters when you have such a uh, pointed effect that just may be critical. Disenchant is back. Cool. Uh, next card, In the Trenches, 1-dub-dub, dub, Enchantment, Creatures You Control Get plus 1-plus one, 1-5-dub, one. Exile Target, Non-Land Permanent You Don't Control Until In the Trenches Leaves the Battlefield, Activate Only as a Sorcery and Only Once. Weird weird effects to have together, for sure. There was a period of Magic's history where you could have just had that first line of text, and this card was very playable. I've seen it with my own eyes, so I, I know that to be true. I played that- Glorious Anthem in in Worlds during Fairies, and it was good. Yeah, yeah, black white tokens, quote unquote tokens was was very good in that format for sure. I am surprised to see these two effects together. I, I don't think they really line up all that well, but still, if you are interested in the first effect, you certainly benefit from that late game bonus having a place to put your mana. Uh, I I do think this is a good way to empower lower to the ground aggro decks in a, a world that is often quite naturally hostile to them give them a little bit of both sides. They get the removal spell and the buff. So cool card to have around. doesn't make me want to like run out and build any specific deck, but I expect some decks will be happy this exists. Yeah, I mean, I think that they're correct that just normal Glorious Anthem doesn't quite cut it these days. And then you're looking at either three mana Anthem with a bonus or, you know, two mana maybe with a downside, I guess. Like it's, it's not just like global creatures you control get plus one, plus one. So... I think that this is in the right space and this makes it so just drawing multiple anthems doesn't necessarily feel that bad if you're getting repeatedly swept or whatever yep. and having a removal spell tacked onto it. Yeah, maybe it's weird, more weird than just like make a token of some sort at some point. You know, I think that would be more in line with stuff, but I think that this 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 does make sense to me. I I kind of understand why they went here. Yeah, happy it exists. Kayla's Command. One dub dub sorcery. Choose to create a 2-2 colorless construct artifact creature token. Put a plus one plus one counter on a creature you control. It gains double strike until end of turn. Search your library for a basic planes. Reveal it. Put in your hand and shuffle. You gain two life and scry two. Every one of these is underwhelming as hell. And <laughs> it, it means that like the combination of them all working together has to be what sells this card. I don't see it. They're kind of like all very separate effects, all below curve. And it's hard It's hard for me to envision a world where these effects combine in such a way that justifies this this very, very steep, very limiting cost. The, the one that actually excites me the most is probably like 
plus one, plus one counter and double strike, just because that does have potential with large bodies, large evasive bodies, just end games on the spot. Uh, so I, I think that one is pretty enticing. Some kind of combo-ish heroic setup. Uh, also, like getting a little bit more time off the game two life scry two if you're looking for like a specific combo kill. That mode is pretty interesting to me. Other than that, this doesn't do a whole bunch for me. Yeah, I mean, there are a lot of modes, but kind of like you mentioned, the top two are like beatdown mode, the bottom two are kind of control mode. So that's sort of weird. And a lot of the things that went into making commands super powerful, uh, especially going back to older formats, is the versatility where, you know, and just like, what, what kind of problem do you have? Well, this sort of command probably solves it, right? Well, like, what problems is this command solving? Yeah, not much. Not much. Like I said, the the one mode that interests me is sort of like a combo-y setup thing where you're getting a little bit more time, a little digging. And maybe like, especially where there's, you know, you're, you're trying to assemble some kind of Voltron, make a particularly large creature, like the mode of getting your 2-2 construct and then doing some life gain and scrying. I, I think that's pretty appealing, but like, this is a very specific deck I'm talking about. And it's still not that good. So I, I don't think this is, good, this is going to see a ton of play. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Borderland Ranger for Mono White, if you want to look at it that way, which, all right, I guess. I mean, there are other versions of that type of effect, I think. So maybe that's not even that great. I, I definitely agree that the double strike is the thing that like scales up the most and is potentially the most exciting about this, where you play this card because it's reasonable and then you have kind of like the combo kills going late, but not super exciting. With you. Kayla's Reconstruction, X dub dub dub, sorcery. Look at the top seven cards of your library. Put up to X artifacts and or creature cards with mana value three or less from among them onto the battlefield. Put the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. I think you know where I'm going with this one, Gerald. I I obviously can't play this card. This is a a cursed, a truly cursed collective company. I don't know why I even try. All right. Yeah, this is not going to happen. Okay. Lay down arms. Dub, sorcery, exile target creature with mana value less than or equal to the number of planes you control. Its controller gains three life. This is some good removal. Like, good it's, solid it's removal. Bad. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm pretty impressed by this card, particularly in older formats. Like, we've, we've played things like Oust before. Seems like mostly better Oust. You're using this probably to deal with some very specific things. But uh, I, I do think there are decks where, like, this is going to scale pretty well into the late game. You know, things like Blue-White Control doesn't play a huge number of planes, but it'll it'll play enough where this card does exactly what they need it to. This feels like a big print to me. Thinking about uh, Cutdown and the problems it had going back into older formats where it looks good for standard because you can kill like a two and a three drop creature, you know, but going back to something like Modern, it just won't even kill a Death Shadow, like a, th- a thing that costs one mana, right. you know? And... This ties into mana value in a way that is pretty easy going back to things like modern. So that's interesting to me, but modern also just has so much good white removal right now where I don't even think that this necessarily makes the cut. And then you think about in terms of pioneer where you get to play for hollowed fountains and like some of the other kind of like weirdo duels, like it, it probably gets there. Yeah, Pioneer does feel like the sweet spot. We've even seen like Chain to the Rocks around from time to time, and I, I think this is almost certainly a better card than Chain to the Rocks, which is a card I 
begrudgingly play every time it, <laughs> it enters my deck. Uh, this feels much, much nicer to me. So yeah, you're, you're probably right. I think Pioneer is where this will really shine. Uh, Lauren of the Third Path. Two dub, two one. Legendary creature, human artificer, Vigilance. When this enters the battlefield, destroy up to one target artifact or enchantment. Tap you and target opponent each draw card. This is actually a really perfect card to get to one of my big takeaways of this set. It it feels to me like this is a big shift in terms of power assignment where the creatures are starting to scale back and the spells are starting to scale up, which has kind of been the opposite of how things have worked a little bit over the what past few years. What does it have to do with this? This feels pretty scaled down. I, I, like it has a lot of nice abilities on it when you are able, like obviously if the metagame is, is very focused on artifacts or enchantments, this is a completely fine thing. But I think if you went back a year, this card costs two. It's It just costs two. I, I think like that third point <laughs> being added on is that it, it, there's just a level of safety with these cards now and they're not meant to be quite as dominant, quite as much of a free roll, I would say. We were just happy to get like your 2-1 body for two cost and also it did all this other stuff on top of it. That that last ability, the you and target opponent each draw a card, that's an interesting one to me. I I expect that most decks that are interested in Loren are going to be using it as like I'm already a creature deck. I have some concern about a specific artifact or enchantment. I need some answers, but I want to continue to build battlefield presence. So I'm going to play Loren in that spot, use it as my, you know, Ukatabi orangutan. And I think once you're doing that, you really don't want to activate that ability because your opponent's cards on average are going to be so much higher impact than yours are. But, you know, you can find scenarios where they're just like, card flooded the additional card has diminishing value your card empty and you can go ahead and benefit from it so i very medium on this card overall but an interesting one i'd say do you think that this is scaled back i think that this is scaled up in a interesting way where playing things like humans we always had to play stuff like knight of autumn like things that were very much not a human and granted knight of autumn has a lot of other reasonable applications or whatever but like this is a three mana human rex age i i think that when you're talking humans though everything is sort of messed up right like the benefit of being a human is now so pronounced specifically in modern a little bit in pioneer too it's getting there so like yeah, the human yeah, it's, it's good there too yeah the, the human class is kind of uh weird at this point i would say in terms of evaluating the power level. So I, I agree with you there. As far as humans, it does feel pretty pressed. As far as just a generic card in standard where it's unlikely to benefit from that tribal synergy, it feels like a scale back to me. Yeah. I don't know. I think I think three mana is pretty on point for this. Maybe two one body is not where you would expect it to be. Yeah, at least I do, two two, I think it would have been my anticipation. I do love Amiko Koro. I agree with you when you're doing like small ball stuff. Miko Koroing is probably not the best idea because your opponent's cards are probably more powerful than yours. But like you mentioned, if if they're up a bunch of cards, you know, it doesn't really matter if you give them an extra one if, if you're sitting with nothing. So I think that that aspect is fine. And then there's the instance where you play this in like a mid-range creature deck that can go a little bit bigger where the Miko Koro is like now the reverse like say you're playing against a beatdown deck where they mm -hmm. do have targets for disenchants. So this is a reasonable body and like your cards scale better than theirs do. I think that that's pretty great too. Yeah. Uh, maybe a spot where like in the trenches is a real card that you have to answer. Uh, this card seems particularly strong there. 
Yeah. Uh, I have no idea what this card does, but it's a mythic, so I'm going to read it. Read it. Uh, my roll, Shield of Argiv. Three dub, three four, legendary creature, human soldier. During your turn, your opponents can't cast spells or activate abilities of artifacts, creatures, or enchantments. Whenever this attacks, create X, one one, colorless soldier, artifact, creature tokens, where X is the number of soldiers you control. Maybe I shouldn't have read that. Well, I don't know. I, like, I, I will never sleep on the during your turn, your opponents can't do stuff ability ever again after Teferi and dramatically undervaluing that card. I'm not trying to put this in the same class. I'm just saying that clause has a lot more worth to me than it used to. There are good soldiers floating around. A lot of the, the white creatures. Oh. oh, we'll get there. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. We, we can talk more about it, but I think already a lot of the white creatures uh, and like, especially pioneer humans are trending towards soldiers. So there's, there's good options here. Little expensive, little narrow. I could see like maybe some spot sideboard play in the dedicated human soldiery deck for this card. Power Stone Engineer, one dub, two, one. Creature human artificer, when this dies, create a tapped Power Stone token. I mean, we're just loaded with options for Power Stone tokens, and we're going to get to talk about the top end as well, which seems quite strong and is also modal. There's there's a lot of artifact top end that you can play cheap early and get a huge payoff late. So I, I wouldn't sleep on these type of effects. You know, this is just a common, but could matter. Yeah, and... Initially, I was like, what are we doing with this? And it's just like slowly coming together. You know, yep. I haven't really sketched anything out, but just prototype in general, I feel like is reasonable enough. Re I really love that mechanic. Like, I, I think it's one of my favorite mechanics they've done recently. And it, uh, is it's being just used. kicker, Brian. I, everything is just kicker, Gerald. You know that every single ability is just kicker. So this is an interesting version of just kicker. And I think the cards look good, and I think it achieves a lot with fewer words, which would be, if you gave me the keys to magic, a lot of my initiative would be achieve more with fewer words, and it does a good job of that. Siege Veteran, 2-dub, two 2-2, two two, Creature Human Soldier. At the beginning of combat on your turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. Whenever another non-token soldier you control dies, create a 1-1 one one colorless soldier artifact creature token. This is part of why I made that statement about the creatures being scaled back. Because here's like Luminarch Aspirant in a more expensive format with like a theoretical upside, but I think that upside is actually pretty small here. I think this card will be targeted effectively. And I think overall, this might be a little bit too expensive for it to have a huge impact. But in like the hard soldier deck, it certainly seems good enough. See, I was going to make a joke about how they had to nerf Aspirant for alchemy or whatever. <laughs> mm, they, already, they already did that. Don't worry. No, I know, but it's just like, oh, we're doing this again, huh? Beginning of combat. Wasn't that a little too good? Yeah. Uh, no, I, it's not the real world. I think that this is interesting in that it's a, a threat, but also the the Midnight Reaper sort of thing. Like, normally those things are, are pretty mopey size-wise, mm -hmm. and this is, like, actually a threat that also does the thing, but... It's also weird where it's like, oh, well, now this is your only relevant card and I can just kill it and you don't get any value. So, yeah, exactly. Uh, it is it is weird. Soul Partition, I think, kind of stinks. So I don't really want to talk about that one. Is that cool? Can we skip that? I, I think that card's pretty interesting, but... Oh, okay, one dub instant, exile target, non-land permanent. For as long as that card remains exiled, its owner may play it. A spell cast by an opponent this way costs two more to cast. When you care a lot about like a specific thing and that thing brings with it a huge amount of value. I'm just thinking of like, would this have seen some play in Urian style decks? And I think it would have because the return on like recasting your Urian was so huge. 
it as a removal spell is pretty acceptable. It's not it's not great, but it's acceptable, I would say for sure. And that that two additional cost is enough in a lot of instances to disrupt whatever it is your opponent's trying to do. I don't think this card is great, but I, I do like it, and I I wouldn't discount it entirely. See, I'd much rather have a, a fateful uh, absence or deck in stone type of thing. Like I am willing to pay, play this removal spell with downside because I want to actually get rid of your thing, not just like have you recast it in two turns. You know what I mean? Yeah. So where that gets messed up, and I, I absolutely agree with you, but where that gets messed up is where a creature brings with it so much value, like just a stupid amount of value. And will we get that again? I, I hope not. I hope we never see a creature that brings as much value to the table as Urian but- did. But that's the same problem, though, right? Is like it brings a stupid amount of value, and then you have a removal spell, which doesn't even trade favorably with that to begin with. But if you are trying to like get the Urian out of the way, again, they just get to replay it at some point. No, no, I'm saying on your own Urian. That that is where I'm interested in this card is where you can use it for as a very very bad blink effect. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. But like, it doesn't yeah. matter how bad it is if it is just like draw six cards. Your gain eight life, like it, it's just not relevant how bad it is. What's not relevant is doing that a second time. You ne- you never need the teleportation circle or whatever. You know, it's just like the first Urian just snowballs enough. It depends how badly you build your decks, Gerald. And I plan on building them very badly with no win conditions, and I'm going to need that second blink. No, you you make a good point. I like I I am particularly prone to like building towards those massive win more end games. I think that's just the way. I approach things. And when I see something that allows me to do that modally, I get very excited about it. Uh, In many instances where that plan is available to you, you should just try and win the game instead of the first activation. So I I concede that point. Do you like any of these other cards? we got a horn turtle with lifelink. Look at that that creature power creep. What are you talking about? Union of the third path, two dub instant draw card, then gain life equal to the number of cards in your hand. This is like revitalize is probably better because it was two mana, but like this is potentially a lot of, life tacked onto a cantrip but it could be i I think this card could be okay and you know hard defensive shells but yeah that's all i have to say about it we don't have to talk about it in length uh anything else in white no bring me to the blue cards uh where'd we start blue blue always has the weird problem where it's just like every card has a lot of text and Mm -hmm. it doesn't really do anything i don't know man i i think the first one i want to read is hercule's final meditation that's where I fell as well, so go for it. All right. Four. You, you, you. Seven mana total. Instant. As long as it's not your turn, the spell costs three more to cast. Return all non-land permanents to their owner's hands. End the turn. I'm I'm really happy that this effect works the way it does where this card ends up exiled. Otherwise, I would be working towards enabling Nexus of Fate type plans very, very rapidly. Even in that state, this card does seem very powerful to me. It reminds me in some ways of like Flood of Tears, where you all you need to do is just sort of play towards this long game. And when you do get to do this as an instant, which its non-instant version is potentially setting you up for, it should be enough to really spin the game in your favor. Like the problem is like this isn't self-contained. You need something else to be going alongside with this. But I've talked so much ad nauseum about this mythical go huge green blue deck and i i'm always on watch for those type of effects this does feel powerful enough where it could be sort of the end game setup i think that hard reset 
even like just the seven mana version where you're doing that at an accelerated pace on turn five and just ask your opponent, like all the work you've done thus far, do it again. I, I think that is completely acceptable. And when you do push to the 10 mana version, getting to do this at instant speed, it starts to be overwhelming, I would say. You just have to figure out what else is going on around all of this. And I don't really have an answer for that right now. I do think this card, though, is constructed playable, particularly, I would say, actually only in standard, where it, it could be quite damning. Yeah, I don't know. In theory, you can put this in your graveyard and, like, gear hulk it, but I don't know. Whatever. Yeah, I could I could see that occasionally coming up, for sure. Like, you, you need to have a bunch of setup to go along with that, uh, but the, the discount just isn't substantial enough to really benefit from it, I think. I think. Eh, I don't know. It's pretty powerful, but... It is, it is a lot of setup. Uh, one with the multiverse. Six UU enchantment. You may look at the top card of your library anytime. You may play lands and cast spells from the top of your library. Once during each of your turns, you may cast a spell from your hand or the top of your library without paying its mana cost. This is another one where like I'm starting to feel like they are taking off some of the safety valves on these spell effects. This feels like something you could build around, something you could end a game with. And the fact that you're getting the immediate return, again, like Titan of Industry, ramping into this, playing this on turn six, and then immediately deploying Titan of Industry from your hand, that's really, really hard to overcome. Like, really hard. All of your future turns are so, so much better at that point, and you've done something on this immediate turn. So... Yeah, maybe maybe this is the mis- missing piece. Maybe it is that simple. It's just like ramp into this thing, play your other big threat, and then you're off to the races and golden. Yeah, you used to use this as kind of the biggest fires of invention of all time or whatever. Yeah. I also kind of think about this, you know, in, in terms of omniscience or whatever, where how many things do you actually need to cast off omniscience? Like they, there were certainly the context. Two. Two. Two is almost always enough in my experience. Well, no, I know, but it's like, you know, you say you like show and tell this into play and then cast your Emrakul off it or whatever, right? Like that's that's all you're doing with Omniscience anyway. Yeah. But this is way more potentially hard castable. And this also allows you to do a bunch of stuff with with cantrips and just like spend the little mana to find your big thing to, to kind of go big. So I don't know. I think that this seems pretty reasonable to me like obviously eight is a lot but when you're when you're looking at like cheating absurdly costed things eight doesn't seem that bad agreed and there's again like that everything is kicker set up you get to use in this set there are some good options where you can like play something early then you get to your one with the multiverse spot and just spiral because now all of your cards have this weird kicker in the form of prototype and you're just jamming huge threat after huge threat while still having options in the early game. Sky strike officer two you two, three creature, human soldier flying. Whenever this attacks, create a one, one colorless soldier artifact creature token tap three untapped soldiers. You control draw a card. Crypt breaker. Is that you? I want this card to be good. So, so badly, so badly. Yeah, I don't know. Do if, I don't know same. if I believe it yet. I don't know if I oh, believe come it. Come on. I don't think so, but I, I want it to be good. I'm pulling for you, Sky Strike Officer. Why is this blue? What the heck? You made me splash a color in my soldier deck. I don't understand. It's weird. Uh, it certainly feels a little bit more white in essence. Other than the, the, the tap three things, I don't know. That feels kind of off the color pie at this point. So 
man, I really want this card. To, I, I want to just like grind people to death with Sky Strike Officer and eventually, you know, get a wide battlefield off this one card package. It it does do the thing where like as a standalone threat, it will just win games. That's really, really important. I, I however, feel like this day and age, you want that kind of effect at two mana. Like when the body is as vulnerable and the immediate impact is almost non-existent, it feels like this has to be a two mana card for it to really shine. It's probably too good as a two mana card, though. So I, I get it. I don't know if it really changes much, because if you just curve like one, two, three, like one, two into this, draw a card, that's completely fine. And if it costs two mana, that doesn't really change anything. Like if it costs two mana, it might actually trick you into playing it on turn two and getting killed before you get to do anything with it. Maybe. I I was more interested in just like I am playing a mid-range slash control deck where this is just one of the threats in my deck as a as a standalone threat, what could it do? Yeah, um, you're weird. In, in your scenario, I, I get it. If you're just trying to make a bunch of soldiers, curving doesn't matter all that much. Yeah, dude, I'm trying to play beatdowns with this. What do you mean? Yeah, I want to counter spells. I want to play this on turn two and then shut my opponent down and grind them to dust with my Sky Strike Officer. Yeah. Uh, we got to talk about Teferi last week, right? We, we did. We both yeah. liked it. Yep, still good. Got another command, Urza's Command. To you, instant, uh, choose two. Creatures you don't control get minus two, minus zero until end of turn. Create a tapped Power Stone token. Create a tapped zero, zero colorless construct artifact creature token with this creature gets plus one, plus one for each artifact you control. Scry one, then draw a card. Media mass modes again. If These I could see a more compelling case for like if there's a hard artifact focused deck then i think like making the construct drawing a card is probably pretty worthwhile for four mana but there really has to be a lot of artifacts and a lot of like good cheap artifacts and i think the artifacts thus far are more mid-rangey than cheap so i i'm not seeing like the the go wide artifact deck that would really benefit from this construct draw card is pretty damn good though yeah or or even just like construct Power Stone, I think, is pretty reasonable, too. Maybe. Maybe that will depend on what you're ramping to. But it is nice that you, like, have a buff built in for that construct as well. It just, it being yeah. tapped, it being tapped is going to be really tough, I have a feeling. All right. Black cards. Uh, Ashnod? Maybe? B11 Legendary Creature Human Artificer Death Touch. Listen, I played Typhoid Rats once. It wasn't good, but this has more text. Whenever Ashnod attacks you may sacrifice another creature if you do create a tap power stone token five exile a creature card from your graveyard create a tapped three three colorless zombie artifact creature token so probably not necessarily going to like headline your deck but i do think that this is a fine synergy piece yeah i mean like as as far as the typhoid rat goes that that five ability is pretty appealing i would say i don't think you're gonna use it a whole bunch but you might from time to time. and Listen, we need colorless activated abilities for our Power Stones. This makes Power Stones. Yeah. It, it yeah. just feeds itself. Depends how, uh, you know, do you, do you have recursive things that you can benefit from? Obviously, this is more apt to attack due to Death Touch and it demanding like a pretty meaningful block. You get that cash in uh, no matter what. So I don't see a home for this now, but there there are a nice little combination of abilities available here, and it kind of depends on support cards more than anything else. Well, as far as Sacrifice Fodder, I think we have a lot of good options. Okay. Dude, unlucky Witness, that's all you need. That's a good one, for sure. 
we got some reprints in Corrupt and Diabolic Intent. No, the Diabolic Intent is a it's a commander reprint, right? Did this card actually exist? It was in Plane Shift. Really? Yeah. I don't think I knew that. I, I did not recognize this card whatsoever. Maybe maybe not Plane Shift, but what's it was one of the invasion sets. Okay, do some Google. Yeah. No, it was it was Plane Shift. Interesting. I I didn't recognize this whatsoever. So cool. I, why did why did people freak out about this card to such a dramatic? I saw people saying like this would have to be banned in modern and and true. I guess it's not in modern at this point, but like this card seems hot medium to me. Uh, it is not bad. It is seen very 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 fringe play, and I, I think that people just overvalue demonic tutor. I think so too. That has been my argument for a while. Uh, but yeah, Diabolic Intent at the the tippy top was like 50 bucks. So I would have assumed that's why people were freaking out. But if they thought it was like on power level reasons, like, yeah, I don't know about that. Yeah, a lot of what I saw was power level related. So, you know, it, whatever. Don't take uh, an internet opinion as <laughs> all that valuable. People tend to freak out about a lot of things. So, uh, Oh, Disfigure Reprint too. Cool. Yep. Yep. Gix's Command, 3BB Sorcery. Odd that Cruelty of Gix and Gix's Command are the same mana cost. Anyway, choose to put two plus one plus one counters on up to one creature. It gains lifelink until end of turn. Destroy each creature with power two or less. Return up to two target creature cards from your graveyard to your hand. Each opponent sacrifices a creature with the highest power among creatures they control. So kill all the small stuff. Kill the big thing. Lifelink is decent. Double raise dead is technically a draw to, but pretty mopey and hard to set up one. I don't know. This seems okay to me. Yes. Very okay. They, they nailed okay with these commands. They're all like very okay. And obviously they tend to be worth more because of their combinations, but all the combinations here are just like not that exciting. They just don't play all that well together. And like, even in a, like a broader macro sense, not even just like individual lines interacting with each other. It's, it's hard to find setup where you're really getting max benefit from all of this. So yeah. An another medium command in my opinion, go for the throat tight. Uh, yeah. Nice reprint. Gruesome realization is tight, but I'm not going to read that misery shadow one B two, two creature shade. If a creature an opponent controls would die, exalt instead one, this gets plus one plus one until end of turn disrespectful to Nantuko shade honestly what do you just, mean just straight up disrespectful this is this is legit good I, I think it seems fine absolutely I am heartbroken for my my OG Nantuko shade but such is such is life the march of time invalidates all of us as, as we go on and uh, not that Nantuko shade was <laughs> really all that valid at this point in his existence anyway but yeah this is this is a cool effect I want to play this in small numbers. I'm not like trying to build around this. I think it's just like a, a very nice option to have, particularly where you're doing that thing where you you're benefiting from this, having a low CMC and there's something that's like gated for only smaller stuff, having options that scale extremely, extremely hard into the late game is always nice. And I, I love that this also is messing up what your opponent's up to while it's just sitting around waiting to be the largest threat on the battlefield. It's, Potentially disruptive. We keep making fun of the Nomadas in the sideboards of people's Jun decks. And I think a lot of it has to do with like the, if a creature would die, exile instead clause. Mm -hmm. So this is a an actual good option 
instead of Namada. And I played a decent amount of Mono Black and some of the ones that slanted a little bit more aggressive with the Knight, like Knight of something. I don't know. And I don't know. This is like another fine option for that that sort of thing. I would have been super happy with a card like this. So, does this reach back to older formats in your opinion? Oh no, 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 no. Okay. No. Oddly, despite the the colorless pumping, I'm I'm thinking in mono black or close to it, like Rakdos maybe. But Rakdos generally has higher card quality to the point where you don't necessarily have to, you know, look very hard for another two drop. But yep, that makes sense. For Mono Black specifically, I'm I'm pretty happy with this. Cool. Any other black cards? No, this this painful quandary sucks. Uh, this card is in Japanese, so I'll just give up on it. Yeah, let's go to the next card. It's next next color. The card in Japanese is especially heinous. Don't worry. Okay, good. Oh, oh wait, uh, Th- Thran Vigil. This was a card where I was like, I I can't believe there's no safety valve on this because this feels extremely extremely exploitable. This is a uh, one colorless one B enchantment. Whenever one or more artifact and or creature cards leave your graveyard during your turn, put a plus one, plus one counter on target creature you control. If that doesn't open up some combo possibility, I I, I don't know. I mean, it's it should be designed to do that because it doesn't really do anything else. So I'm assuming this is an effort to put this type of effect on a very consistent enchantment body that's hard to disrupt. And I think there are several decks that can take advantage of this. Yeah, it was just a random enchantment, so I didn't read it. I'm going to be honest. That's okay. I got your back. It's messed up with Kitchen Finks. That's all you need to know. Oh, dear. Oh, dear. Brotherhood's End. One RR sorcery. Choose one. This deals three damage to each creature and each planeswalker or destroy all artifacts with mana value three or less. Love it. Yeah. These good uh, modal sweepers. Red is really good at getting these three damage modal sweepers now. And this is another fine one. We haven't had one in a while. Oh, you, you skipped a very good card, by the way, Gerald. I know you skipped it because it's a common enchantment, but you should go back and, and read uh, this one. It's a, it's a tormenting voice. One R enchantment. When this enters the battlefield, you may discard a card. If you do draw two cards, one sack. This creature's you control gain haste until end of turn. Let me guess. You want to urine this thing. Great. You can do that. That's fine. I, I think having the ability to give your creatures haste on this type of effect could actually be extremely impactful, particularly as is this it, enables... Is it to make up for the fact that you wasted two mana casting a, a tormenting voice? It's You're not playing... You're not playing it for being like a tormenting voice. You're playing it because you're going to do some type of reanimation broken thing where that one ability is going to go ahead and unlock your one turn kill as opposed to a two turn kill. And that's a huge, huge difference for those type of setups. All right. So I'll bitter reunion away my Titan of Industry and then I'll Cruelty of Gix to bring it back and then pay a mana to give it haste to then have a six mana Titan of Industry instead of a seven? Titan of Industry is not a good example of where this card <laughs> is at its strongest, but there are other spots where, you know, your your huge reanimation threat does not have immediate impact, and now this is able to get you to the point where you can go ahead and just end the game on the spot. Nah. Do you like Draconic Destiny? I, so, I, I'm hoping you can remember this, because as soon as I saw this, there was something last week where I was like, oh, if we have the demonic embrace type card in standard then this card will be really good and i have no idea what i said that about and now here's draconic destiny which is you know not exactly that but is is pointing in that direction and i'm curious if you can remember what i wanted to put demonic embrace on i think that was a fever dream okay yeah it's it's totally possible that wouldn't shock me at all i i think this is a a pretty medium demonic embrace anyway you like felden should i read felden I like Felden's Cane. I played that a lot in my my OG oh my mill God. decks. 
I don't, I don't know why, oh, but God. we all played Feldenskaden. All right, Mistress Command, XR, Sorcery, choose two. Choose target player. They may discard up to X cards. Then they draw a card for each card discarded this way. This deals X to target creature, deals X to target planeswalker, or target creature gets plus X plus O and gains haste until end of turn. Uh, yeah. <laughs> what are we What are we doing with this card? It's, it's got a lot of modes, and you get two of them. I don't know, man. I, I don't. The most exciting thing this does to me is like kill a creature and a planeswalker, and it does not do that particularly cheaply. If there is some type of red deck that is playing to the late game that wants that effect, maybe this is good enough. And then you just like backdoor random fireballs with your plus XO and haste as you get really late. You know, I, it's certainly a meme at this point where I'm like, well, if there was a big red deck, this would be good. But there's a reason there's never a big red deck. That strategy sucks. So, yeah, same problem here. Martin Jusa is crying somewhere. Sorry. Monastery Swissware reprint. Dope. Huge. Huge reprint. Obliterating Bolt. 1R Sorcery. This deals 4 damage to target creature or planeswalker. If that creature or planeswalker would die this turn, exile it instead. Hell yeah. Very good effect to have around. Good removal. Like, like very good removal in this Yeah, set. I was going to say, they're not messing around, especially like the last two sets, the last three sets. The removal's just so good. Absurdly good, yeah. That's cool. I, I like points assigned to removal as far as like power level. I think that leads to good gameplay. Yeah. I mean, especially if all the creatures just draw cards anyway. It's like, who cares? Yep. All right, we have a French card. We have a Chinese card. Uh, got a big dragon. Oh, flame tongue dragon. Uh, six mana, four, five. Fire breathing, flame tongue, four, four to any target, face tongue. Okay. Yeah, that's pretty good. That's not bad. And we could we could give it haste after we reanimate it too with our uh, bitter reunion, and and we're rolling now. Again, damage all that, over the that, place. Again, dude, that's six mana. You, you can just it. cast it. Love it. Huge discount. Uh, on to green. What do you like in green? I don't know. I, like like awake in the woods is very interesting to me in terms of just like. We've, we've seen decks that rely on... I'll, I'll read Awaken the Woods. It's uh, XGG Sorcery. Create X11 Green Forest Dryad <laughs> Land Creature Tokens. So these are Dryad Arbors, basically. This is a payoff for your ramp that amplifies over time. Like the, the second copy is sort of ridiculous after you play the first copy. The first copy can both ramp you pretty effectively, like four mana plus two. Should these survive, you get a little extra utility out of these cards where they can attack and block. That can matter as well. They can I don't get bumps. You can have anthems. Like uh, Obviously, it's it's pros and cons, right? Because you're trying to do explosive vegetation stuff. Yep. You would much prefer that they're land so they don't get caught up in sweepers or whatever. But if you can take advantage of the bodies, you can take advantage of the bodies, you know? so This, this does feel like the card where, like, if the format were to just go straight, no interaction, you know, just two ships passing in the night, this is the one where things would get out of control very quickly because of how well one copy leads to the next. And uh, the fact that it's a very unique ramp spell in the context of green that could also just be your win condition as well. And that's a little frightening to me. I, again, am not running out to build and awaken the woods decks, but I see the potential there. It is cool. Uh, we have like a Shatterstorm. Well, it's like a Fracturing Gust, four mana Fracturing Gust. So that's good. Oh, Fauna Shaman? Are you kidding me? 
Yeah, that that's a huge one. I'm a huge Fauna Shaman fan. Huge Fauna Shaman fan. I did not know that this was here. Yeah, I don't know what we can do with this exactly if it's actually good, but well, we've got some some unearth going on in this set. So there's that like small amount of value. Obviously, you know anything we were reanimating, we're giving haste with our uh, bitter reunion. So that's always good. A little extra value there. And I'm gonna see how many times I can mention bitter reunion for the rest of this podcast. That is my only goal at this point. Obstinate yeah. Bailoff too. Yeah, Obstinate Bailoff reprint. I, I've played Fauna Shaman as far back as Legacy, and granted, its functioning there was odd. But yeah, I mean, I had Vengevine Quarian Ranger in, in my Legacy decks, so yep, yeah, that was that was a weird time for Legacy. But this card on power level can get there. Uh, requires some very specific setup, but it, it's a really really fun card too. So I, I like this one a lot. Uh, it's also an elf, and there was the elf lord recently. Maybe that doesn't matter for this, but maybe for like historic or pioneer or something. Sure. I don't know yeah. if Fauna Shaman is already in pioneer, but uh, yeah, I'm trying to remember. There, there was another Fauna Shaman reprint, right? Like this has happened before. Yeah, I was in a course that it was like M11 or something. Right. Right. Uh, Gwenna, eyes of Gaia, two G, two three, legendary creature, elf druid scout, tap. Add two mana in any combination of colors. Spend this mana only to cast creature spells or activate abilities of a creature or creature card. Why Why the... What's the difference? I don't anyway. know. Uh, whenever, no, also, my, whenever, my brain is melted from this question now. I'm trying so yeah. hard to find the answer to this. I'm, I'm sure that there is a very easy answer, but... This is weird to me. Uh, there's also more text. Whenever you cast a creature spell with power five or greater, put a counter on this and untap it. I played Shaman of, was it like Wandering Ways or Forgotten I Ways? Forgotten Ways. Yeah, I, I played that. was like reasonably close to top eating that PT, playing Mono Green Devotion. And this is, this is just one of those cards where if the format is Removal Light or uh, the other Shaman was also a 2-3, I believe. So if the format has like a lot of shock type of stuff, then this can potentially do like pretty powerful stuff, like three mana, potentially adding two mana. And then I don't know, like the, the untapping clause is like pretty nice too. So I like this yep. card. Yeah. Three, three to six is a big deal. Uh, you just have to have the right sweet spot where you're trying to get to at six. And again, a lot of modal creatures here where you're pretty willing to play them early and then scale up in the late game. So this seems completely fine to me. Teething wormlet G one, one creature worm. Says Death Touch, uh, as long as you control three or more artifacts, whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, you may gain one life. If this is the first time this ability has resolved this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on this. feel like this is going to gain somebody somewhere infinite life. That is what this card is capable of and has cool. a little bit of upside with it as well, being a potential potential defensive option. There's a lot of like finicky artifact combo decks that benefit from having uh, both alternate win conditions and just like roadblocks along the way. If this gains you two life and then blocks something and kills it, that could be really, really good, especially when it's also your win condition. So this card might be worth a lot more than people are expecting it to be worth right now. Yeah, that setup requires a kind of weird looking deck, but I think that that's fine. Uh, this set has a lot of weird cards and certainly... Maybe some of the tools to do stuff like that. We'll see. Yeah, I think even older formats, like this is the type of card, if something costs one, you can look at it realistically in older formats. And it's, if it has that multifunctional purpose, could just potentially go off and, and be an exciting card for a lot of those weirdo, you know, 
I guess they're not as weird anymore, but like grinding station type effects where you just uh, have a way to move stuff around and this doubles as your kill condition. On to multicolored. We have Harbin, Vanguard, Aviator, UW, 3-2, Legendary Creature, Human Soldier, Flying. Whenever you attack with five or more soldiers, creatures you control, get plus one, plus one, and gain flying until end of turn. Let's go! The 3-2 flyer for two mana in the colors that you're already doing soldier stuff in is enough. And the fact that there's some pretty substantial upside uh, potential anthem slash evasion effect tacked onto this to win the game. This, this card's good. This is a reason to play soldiers for sure. Talk about all the Mishras. All of them. All the all Mishras, all the Mishras. Uh, decent amount of three drops that make power stones. So that's cool too. I like the red green one. Arbalest Engineers. One RG, two, two. Creature Human Artificer. When this enters the battlefield, uh, choose one. This deals one to any target. Put a plus one, plus one counter on a target creature. It gains trample and haste until end of turn or create a tap power stone token. That's like a decent amount of versatility. Yeah. Yeah, this is some nice modality. I I don't think this is a slam dunk, but uh, especially if there's any kind of like Llanowar Elf type creature around in the format seeing widespread play, this card could be completely fine. Hajar, Loyal Bodyguard, RG33, Legendary Creature, Human Soldier, Sacrifice This, Legendary Creatures You Control, Get Plus One, Plus Zero, and Gain Indestructible until end of turn. Uh, pretty good in the uh, whatever legendary standard deck What's what's the card at the top end? Bard class. No. Do we the, still have that card? No. It must be gone so, by now. It's 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 way gone. Yeah. Uh, the Wooberg card. Oh yeah yeah. Uh, I don't know the name, but I I do know what you're talking about. And also, I don't. Gruel gets a watch. Watch Wolf. Wolf. Yeah, Watch Wolf is it probably enough. So. Uh, I have a green white one one. Whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Maybe that's okay. What's what's this this Japanese mythic? Do we have to concern? Oh, it's this? landfall. Make a power stone. Oh, meh. Do you say Japanese? It's Chinese, dude. Oh, I'm sorry. You are correct. Come on, man. My bad. I usually recognize those things. Uh, Sahili filigree master two. You are legendary planeswalker three. Starting loyalty plus one. Scry one. You may tap an untapped artifact you control if you do draw a card. Minus two, create two one one colorless thopter artifact creature tokens with flying. They gain haste until end of turn. Minus four, you get an emblem with artifact creatures you control, get plus one plus one, and artifact spells you cast cost one less to cast. Hmm, really easy emblem there. Really, really easy emblem. Yeah. Uh, huh. It's an interesting one. Hasty card thopters, card drawing engine. Yeah, very good at multiples too. Like it's you a card you're very happy to play four copies of because of how well they scale with each other and uh yeah i I mentioned i didn't quite see the go wide artifact deck yet but maybe sahili is the key to unlock that there's also like the third path iconoclast which is the next card uh it's it's you are creature human monk two one whenever you cast a non-creature spell create a one one colorless soldier artifact creature token so uh you know finding a way to get wide from if you're only things that are capable of producing these colorless soldiers in your deck or these colorless threats in your deck or third path iconoclast and Sahili filigree master, and you're kind of a control setup, I, I think that's completely valid. I think you could very much make an end game from these two cards. 
And I like those kind of end games. So I, I like Sahili. This is a, a fun, exciting planeswalker to build around. I don't think it's too pushed. I don't think it really stands on its own. You know, I like planeswalkers that really like ask for a lot of deck building creativity and uh, commitment to their core idea, which I think Sahili does a good job of. Yeah. And then I don't know, man, like this set and I guess the last one have both have cards that I really like basically things that are going to trick me into like building around them and playing with them. And I haven't had that in a while. So this is kind of fun. But yeah, uh, the other thing I was thinking about is like, all right, you're, you're talking about doing like small ball sort of hero of precinct one Sahili lava coil kind of, you know, mid range controly stuff. And then it's like, you also have the big Teferi is kind of like a, a bigger sideboard plan for mm. other control mid range decks or whatever. I'm just like, all right, let's, let's go. Yeah, makes threats as well. Uh, it's cool. That's a really cool setup. I I will say that the set is doing a really good job of making me like count my arena wild cards. It, it really makes me want to play standard again in particular, which is awesome. Really, really excited to see that. Skyfisher Spider, 2BG, 3-3, three, three, Creature, Spider, Reach. When this enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice another creature. When you do, destroy target non-land permanent. When this dies, you may gain one life for each creature card in your graveyard. If you do... Uh, exile this I don't know if I'm just having like fake conversations in my head, but I also feel like last week we said something to the effect of if there is a ravenous chupacabra. That did happen. That one I okay. don't remember. I don't remember in in regards to what that happened, but yeah. Well, this is sort of that. This card seems very good to me. Like, sure, it's got a, a condition behind its ability to be a removal spell, but it's a broad ass removal spell target non-land permanent so just hitting absolutely everything if you have good fodder to cash in with this you'll happily make that trade and then the life gain clause is fine like that that could really matter in these mid-range mirrors and the fact that it does have that really diverse suite of removal targets i think is going to be key something like jund seems like it'll benefit from a copy or two of skyfisher spider yeah, non like just destroy target non land permanent is pretty nice. The exile clause is a nice upside. That's fine. And I like the fact that it like you don't have to do it in case you would just want to recur this thing anyway. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's not bad. Good card. Like three three reach, not bad either. Uh, other gold cards we've talked about. Uh, now we get into all the prototypers in artifacts. These are, they're all weirdos. Every one of them is a weirdo, but I, I like them. I like them a lot. Yeah, man. I don't know. I feel like we could talk about each one of these potentially, but what do you want to do? Uh, you know, talk about the ones that are most interesting to you, I guess. I. But your, your point is good. They are all interesting because they are so modal and none of these abilities feels like a complete miss to me. They, they all have potential to shape this format. I, I guess let's let's talk about the highlights because we'll we can get more into like specifics as the format plays out. Highlight one in each color that you think is actually the most exciting. Let's do that. Dude, I don't know though, because they're all so weird. You're like, oh, just do the highlights. It's like, I don't know what the highlights are. Let's talk about this. Razor Lash, Transmogrant. Uh, two mana, three, one. Artifact creature, zombie. This can't block. Four BB, return this from your graveyard to the battlefield with a plus one, plus one counter on it. This ability costs four less to activate if an opponent controls four or more non-basic lands. All right. Wait, Let's how do you skip all the prototype cards to talk about this card? Because this, this, 
This one I definitely want to talk about. We're holding off on the prototypes. Okay, sure. Because I was pretty excited about the Nantuko shade. Maybe I should have been excited about this instead. Maybe. Uh, Maybe. I would assume that in Esper, Jund, whatever format, this is pretty easy to bring back. Oh, yeah. So... Maybe this is just better than the shade. I mean, maybe you play a split. I don't know. Because it's like the night is still pretty good, too. Just shutting down the life gain. So I don't know. But either way, we got a bunch of options. Yeah, this card just here forever, too. Like, it, it's coming back over and over. Oh, uh, yeah. And <laughs> there's there's nothing you can do about it. We talked about several things which benefit from finding fodder. Here you go. This looks like fine fodder. And, you know, combining your spiders with, with this card is going to be completely acceptable. I find that formats where things like this exist, they escape that murk, that that like never ending mid game where things just scale infinitely because cards like this are there to force decisions, force pressure, force you to close out a game because you can't just sit there forever being attacked by a 4-2 that is coming back over and over and over. Those are stats which end games. So this card existing, very, very good, I believe. All right, I, f- I found a prototype I like. Trying to guess which one it is. It, I feel like you're going to be cranky about the blue one for some reason. I don't know which which one is it. Just just spoil us. I might have even just skipped all the blue ones. I don't okay. Know. Oh god, the blue one had so much text. It does. It, it's good though. You you have to read it. You have to force yourself to read it. All right, seven mana four three. This this one. Yeah. Not the Colossus. All right. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Seven mana four three. Oh, mythic artifact creature wizard. Those are a lot of nice words. Yeah. Uh, when this. Enters the battlefield. If you cast it, exile target instant or sorcery of mana value less than or equal to this thing's power from your graveyard. Copy that card. You may cast that copy without paying its mana cost. Prototype 1UU21. No, this card is nuts. I love this card. Good. I'm glad because I think this card is is sick and it can just do its thing at three mana. Like two mana removal spell, like Lava Coil or whatever your removal spell of choice is into this is going to be Awesome. And then when it scales up to be your four mana card drawing spell in the late game, fine. I, I am very, very happy with that. This this card excites the shit out of me, for sure. It works with Sahili's ult, too. It does. It does. It benefits like, from being pumped. Yeah. So That's there's cool. that. No, yeah, this is this is definitely the best blue one. Good. Good. I'm glad you enjoyed this card. This is one of the ones I was very excited about. After, after the saga, that was like you can skip to chapter three and play a card from your graveyard or it was like mm-hmm. exile it, make a copy of it. You may yep. cast the copy. I had to double check that this was without paying its mana cost. Yes. So. Yes. This one does give it to you for free. And and that card ended up being pretty medium because of that uh, additional requirement. Oh yeah. No, I mean, it's a huge requirement, man, yep. but, but just like the, the exile it, make a copy of it. You may cast it or whatever. It's just like, to me that speaks to, you don't cast copies of stuff. You know what I mean? Like you just mm-hmm. can play them for free. Uh, so that was kind of confusing. So I'm glad that I double checked with this one. I guess I learned that lesson and I don't know, robo wizard. I'm in. Cool. Everyone's casting robo wizards having a great time. Uh, Rootwire amalgam was the one that I liked. Oh, is this the green one? Yeah. Yeah. This card's interesting. All right, another mythic. Five mana, five, five, artifact creature golem, three GG, sack this, create an XX colorless golem, Artifact creature token where X is three times Rootwire Amalgam's power. It gains haste until end of turn. Activate only as a sorcery. Prototype 1G23. I think this card is pretty sick. I, I think that scaling 2-3, we've seen it play out in so many 
green mid-range decks before. This one, basically, you get your two mana, two, three, holds down the fort early. As soon as you hit five mana, you're threatening a six power threat. And then it also has more modality. It's like the most modal card ever. You just play it as a five mana, five, five, should you draw it in the late game. And then it threatens a 15 power haste threat, which is, uh, that should just end games. It makes it so your opponent can never feel safe ever again. I think all of those things in these classic mid-range style decks are exactly what I'm looking for from my potential to drop. And it's how you hold the fort and it's how you end games. Perfect. No notes. I like it. Uh, What else? All these artifacts have a lot of text. Surely, surely the artifacts and the artifacts that can't be very good, right? We can just skip them. Uh, I think that would be probably a big mistake, but we have a lot of cards that, uh, I mean, there's still this whole section of cards that I really, really want to talk about and we're well over an hour in. So just assume we'll come back around to all of this. This is kind of like the downside of getting bombarded with a bunch of previews at once. It's hard to give them all the time they deserve. But as I said, the prototype mechanic is a whole huge win for me. And then I, I really want to talk about these these multicolor X artifact creatures that we have a little bit further down. Yeah, they're they're interesting. Are, are you talking about doing that now or later? <laughs> uh, let's let's do that now. That'll, those will be the last things we talk about. And I think there's there's either two or three of them that we have seen thus far. And if you want to just read them all at once, and we'll talk about them as a, a circuit, all right. that's fine. Uh, Clay Champion X four. Uh, these are mythics too. Artifact creature construct two two. This enters the battlefield with three plus one plus one counters on it for each GG spent to cast it. When this enters the battlefield, choose up to two target creatures you control for each dub dub spent to cast it. Put a plus one plus one counter on each of them. Blade coil serpent X six five four artifact creature serpent. When this enters the battlefield, for each UU spent to cast it, draw a card. For each BB spent to cast it, each opponent discards a card. For each RR spent to cast it, it gets plus one plus one gains trample and haste until end of turn. Is there another one hiding out somewhere? No, these are the only two I see thus far. I, th- I thought there was a third one, but I, I may be misremembering. Well, yeah, between the two of them, they have all five colors represented. So I don't know if that's it. Yeah, fair enough. Okay, so these cards, they're so interesting because they actually, like, inspire me to do two pretty different things. Clay Champion, I just think, like, in Mono Green, this is a stupid, huge body at a very reasonable cost that you're just very, very happy uh, to play as a four-mana 6-6, but then it just scales. It just scales forever. And Is uh, it is it not an 8-8? Oh, 8-8. Eight, eight. Uh, yeah, I'm sorry. 8-8 eight, eight. because it gets uh, the three plus one plus one counters twice and it already has base 2-2. Two, two. So four mana 8-8, eight, eight, absurd stats. Absolutely absurd. But you can push that as far as you want to, as as much as you have the mana for. So, you know, you want a six mana 11-11? Sure, go for it. Live your best life. And man, that's a, a lot of power for a deck that just basically wants to put big, big bodies out there and, and let them you know, sort of do their thing, either be the abyss every turn or just threaten ending the game on the spot. So Clay Champion in that regard, really exciting in mono green. And then Blade Coil Serpent sort of makes me want to do something totally different where I, I want to be able to choose these modes as I see fit and get a little bit of value in multiple ways. So if this is being cast as a six mana, draw a card, each opponent discards a card, six, four haste trample creature, I, I mean, that stat line is preposterous, absolutely preposterous. But should I have mana flexibility, if it's a six mana when this comes into play, opponent discards three cards, five, four, 
okay, you can sell me a lot of scenarios where that's really impactful. Is it a six mana draw three cards? Five, four. Not bad. Super Mole Drifter. I'm sure I'm going to want that once in a while. Then add on the fact that, again, scales throughout time. Should we be playing towards these super late games? This is uh, extremely impactful as you get to points where you're like, discard my opponent's entire hand, draw two more cards, and have a haste threat. All right, you probably won that game. No need to go any further. Such such interesting design, and I am, again, very excited to play with these cards, which I think is the, the most praise I could lay upon them. Yeah, and I mean, we still have treasures from Fable, and there's like Soul of Wing Grace type of stuff. Like, it's mm-hmm. not that hard to scale up, so... Uh, no, yeah, so, Soul of Wind Grace is a great point. I mean, I, I don't know how often you're going to like Soul of Wind Grace, Blade Coil Serpent, maybe just for like the discarding cards, haste mode. Like, that's good enough. Yeah, that seems fine. That, that if, seems really, really good in the late game. Yeah, but, uh, you know, Grixis too. Like, Grixis could very easily, you know, play one or two of these, sideboard some, do whatever it wants. Yeah, and look, there, there, there's so many other cards we could be talking about too. Things like cityscape leveler and what it offers to mono green there's things like the stone brain again what it offers to mono green not sort of worried about that deck actually making it much longer in pioneer given how many exceptional cards there are here and really how many exceptional cards there will be throughout time just to slot into that deck card's probably too good for that format quite frankly but yeah i i am over the moon about the set thus far definitely the most excited i've been about a uh, magic set in a very long time i would say have you read demolition field I've probably read it, but I don't know what it does just hearing you say it. So I think it's Field of Ruin. It's just worded differently. Oh, this is, yeah, yeah. So this this works in Commander. And it, it, it is, uh, yeah, it, it is in Standard exactly the same. I'm trying to remember why the current version doesn't work in Commander. Let's see. Let's do a little Google on the Field of Ruin. Oh, is it just each player? Yes. Yeah, yeah. So you feel the ruin someone, and then two yep. other people get an extra land. Whereas this one is just, uh, it basically works like how Field of Ruin works in Heads Up. Okay. Yep. Exactly right. Also, Blast Zone reprint in the set. Oh yeah. Yep, really exciting card too. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So just home runs all over the place. I own like forty Blast Zones. So that's kind of a tilt, but whatever. Mm, whammy. It's fine. That's one of those cards where it was like two dollars in real life and it was like seven on moto and i was like eventually those prices equalize usually so yeah i I no longer think it is possible to win specking on like standard playable cards unless you're gonna just move very quickly like it used to be oh i'll accumulate a ton of these over time and it was more so it. it was more so for modern and this was also like four years ago or whatever yeah that is what I mean. Basically, I'm saying non-reserve list stuff. Like, you can't buy it to hold it. It will be reprinted into the ground at some point. I agree with you. I wasn't planning on, like, a seven-year deal for this. It just it never really equalized because Magic just went digital and then went completely to shit. Yeah. So, yeah, I would I would definitely not be trying to make money specking on, like, constructed playability necessarily Mm-mm. for a lot of reasons. No, that's not how we do things anymore. It's a shame think, too, because this card, yeah. this set really makes me want to play standard. Well, I, I think that, you know, <laughs> those things can be completely separate. You know, I think you can have a set that makes you want to play standard and then not care about the fact that you can't spec anymore. Part of the reason you can't spec anymore is because nobody plays standard, though. You see what I'm like? Like, there's no, 
you, you can't do the thing where you're like, oh, this is a really good constructed card. I will, and nobody else knows it yet. So I'm going to buy a bunch of them. Like that's one of the things I really enjoyed about preview season. If you wanted right. to, pl- sure. But if you want to play standard, you can find a way. Maybe it's not at the level uh, that's as high as you would prefer or whatever, but you know. Facts. Oh no, there are like Urza artifact creatures, like power plant, mine worker. Yeah, there's there's a neutron land too. There's so many more things we could talk about if we just wanted to do a six hour cast, but uh, I, I don't, I, I'm busy. So we will have to wait until next week where we do the top 10 breakdown and maybe we'll go, maybe we can go extra deep on our honorable mentions this set. Maybe we'll what's, do a top 20 or something. Cause this what's set the is Tron, deep. What's the Tron land? It, uh, oh, you know what? Actually, it's a commander card. Never mind. Uh, okay. Okay. My mistake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That's a scary Ugh. one. Yeah. I sort of, my brain has gone to mush with the, every single card cra- crosses my Twitter feed at some point and I have to sort out what is real and what is not. And I'm getting better at it. Like I'm, I'm, I now have the mental check to go ahead and look at the set stamp, but it still sort of cross pollinates sometimes where I start thinking about a card and I don't realize it's not actually meaningful until it's too late. Yeah, I feel you. All right, cool, man. Uh, are you excited for this weekend? I am super excited for this weekend for a lot of reasons. Like I said, we have a really great metagame right now. Seeing the World Championships is really cool. We also uh, just had our preview season for the first set I worked on. So I get to talk to people finally about cards I had a hand in designing and, and whole classes I had a hand in designing. Uh, I was a, a, a big contributor to the Assassin class, which we just revealed, and we never had Assassins in our game before. So I'm so curious to hear what people think about that particular edition. Uh, and just see everyone, a bunch of folks coming over from New Zealand who I haven't seen in a while. The whole, Not the whole dev team, but about half the dev team is coming over. Nice. So it'll be good to catch up with everyone. Yeah. Hell yeah. Yeah, we're doing a dev challenge, Gerald. I'm curious what you think about this. So uh, ninth through 16th place at Worlds and two random undefeated people from side events this weekend get to play in a 16-person single, single elimination tournament against the devs with really nice prizes up top. I think it's like, again, more of those promos and I, I think $5,000 cash as well. So a nice little console consolation prize for missing the top eight, as well as a chance to just battle the devs a little bit and trash talk them about their poor designs while you're beating them. <laughs> uh, I mean, that's definitely interesting. I think that that is a thing that is really hit or miss depending on what the sort of like pulse of the community is like. Mm-hmm. because I feel like that would be a cool thing for Magic 30, potentially, wouldn't necessarily be the best thing for the Pro Tour, for like the Magic Pro Tour. You know, because I don't I don't feel like Magic Pro Tour players would be super interested in that. Like, I mean, yeah, if there's like 5K in the line, whatever, they'll, they'll play whatever format, it doesn't matter. But you know right. what I mean? Right. I, I see what you're saying. I, I think it is honestly as much a reward for the dev team as it is for the players. So I'm yeah. obviously partial yeah. to it. But that, that's cool, though. Like, I don't know. I, I do I do think there's something to be said for just like keeping your devs very invested in the pulse of Yes. The game. Well, also I think making sure the players know who the devs are is kind of mm-hmm. good. Yeah. Like Wizards did that to some degree with certain people. Like Rosewater I think is the most notable example and I think folks in the know kind of like know the legend of Eric Lauer or whatever, but mm-hmm. Wizards does not 
necessarily try and make its devs like rock stars. You know what I mean? And I yeah. feel like they're missing out a decent amount. Cause I don't know. There are people like, like maybe Ben Hayes or whatever, where it's just like, no one knows who the hell that is, but like they do good work or like they did when they worked there, you know, but yeah, just, just stuff like that. It's just like missed opportunities, man. Like there's, there's no reason. I, I don't think why now, I don't know. Someone like Andrew Brown, like, and I think that Andrew does a good job of this, like on his own, just like interacting with the community or whatever. But it's like mm-hmm. he should be way more like well known than than what he is, because I think it's it's pretty beneficial. And also, like he's a good community liaison. So I agree with you. It's also a huge ask to like to ask Andrew to navigate that, and especially it's it's way easier in my game because it's not as big the opinions he would be subjected to as like the, the front face of magic design. I feel in all parts of my soul for what he would go through in that scenario, just because of like how huge the community is. See, that's, that's the difference is that I think that that is how you retake that narrative is having someone who's at the forefront of it. You're a hundred, you're a hundred percent correct, but things are sort of so far gone that asking him to like step up to like, it's something you have to do, I think from the beginning. And I think for years and years, they did a really good job of that. Your, your point is spot on. Like they did put those people uh, more in forward facing spots and it's harder as like, certainly the team gets bigger. They have way more designers. Now you can't make them all superstars, but it does feel like that element of connectivity, like the back and forth between the community and the appreciation that both sides have for each other. And this is as much a criticism of the devs as it is a criticism of the community is that there's just like sort of passing disdain across the two fields where like the community hates the devs for what they design and the devs hate the community for not being kinder and like letting them engage with them. And it just leads to this really toxic spiral that I do think magic has been in for a little while now. And yeah, I agree with that. But part of the problem is that you don't have the devs saying stuff like this is why it happened this way. Yeah. 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 A hundred percent, a hundred percent. And a lot of that is they made their own bed and they, they have to lie in it. But my point is that I don't know once you've made the bed, if you can untangle it, like it just might cause more psychic damage than anything it could ever actually achieve. The answer is you can absolutely like juice might not be worth the squeeze, you know, Maybe, maybe. but I, I do think that if that is something that you recognize is a problem and you want to go about fixing it, there are avenues you can take to do that. Now, is that something you should be spending your bandwidth on? Is that something that you want to be part of your job description? Who's to say? I don't know. Good I mean, question. At, at this point, I, I just went to Andrew Brown's Twitter at Merck underscore lurker. For those wondering, uh, founding member of the podcast, by the way, uh, has 3,400 followers. So not a lot for him being like game balance lead for Magic. And one of the most recent tweets is Misery Shadow, the new Nantuko Shade, saying this card was made in a design workshop where the prompt was 2022 Nantuko Shade. Right. It's just like that's the type of like little tidbit type of stuff that he is doing of his own volition. Yep. And I don't know if it is. Yeah, I don't know if it's like a conscious effort to do the whole retake the narrative thing, but I think that that is something that he clearly has at least a passing interest in, you know? Yep. Yeah, I applaud it. I, th- I, I do think it makes a difference and it's, it's going to be tough. I think it's going to subject Andrew to uh, a lot of probably abuse and criticism and the vast majority of it unfair, but I, I do think it's worth the effort. Yeah, I mean, like I'm saying, man, it's uh, like people don't necessarily have the ground to stand on 
when you are a person of authority and they know that and you get to say the first thing and actually create the narrative versus letting other people start it. Like, I, I just think that things could be so much different, but whatever. That's fine. In the next lifetime. Yeah. I mean, uh, for what it's worth, I think that y'all are doing a pretty good job of it and you're starting off from the right place. You know, you're doing this relatively early. Uh, yeah, it's, I mean, it's important to us. I, I think it is something missing from magic and I, I don't ever want it to slip out of control when it comes to flesh and blood. I think it's very important that the relationship between players and designers remains extremely positive, extremely uh, open and benefits both sides, quite frankly. All right. Game. Game. Good luck.